0: We're continuing this eight-week sermon series in the book of Proverbs called Foolproofing Your Life. And today we're talking about foolproofing your schedule. And we've been encouraging you to read Proverbs. There's 31 chapters. It takes about a month to read a chapter a day. It's really good. And I was reviewing through Proverbs again this uh, this week. And I came across the very beginning of Proverbs. I was reminded again, uh, the goodness that comes from the wisdom of God. Why is it should we be interested in in the wisdom of God? And right there in the first chapter of Proverbs, we read the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And here's the benefit we get from knowing God's wisdom. We will gain wisdom and instruction. It will help us understand words of insight for receiving instruction and in prudent behavior, for doing what's right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple. That means people who are gullible. It gives knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. Wow. If I read about something that could give me all those things, I'd be interested. And we are. So we are just uh, over halfway through this eight-week sermon series in the book of Proverbs. And and as I said, today we'll be talking about this idea of foolproofing our schedule. How is it that we've all become so busy? My goodness. Funny story about a guy working in his garden. He was working in his garden and, and the neighbor looks over the fence and says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm putting my plants in alphabetical order. And the neighbor says, how do you find the time? And he says, it's right next to the sage. Okay. Medium response. We're going to have a good time this morning. Our text for today comes from Proverbs 16. These are verses about time. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. May it honor God that we would be blessed by the reading of his holy word this morning. Let's come together in prayer. Father in heaven, in quiet times, we see your face and we feel your holy presence. We can get too busy and too hectic and we run aimlessly from you. This morning, help us to bring wisdom into the busyness of our life and foolproof our schedules. Oh, Father, we need help here. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. For Christ's sake, we pray, and together we all say amen. First, I want to look at this wonderful paradox we find in Proverbs 16:9, because it seems like we've got to do a better job of understanding these words. And we'll spend some time here as a place of introduction. Proverbs 16:9 says, The heart of man plans his way. But the Lord establishes his steps. So it seems to me like there's almost two things going on here. People might say, if God is in charge, then what difference does it make if I make plans, if I schedule out my day? Or, or the opposite, since my choices count, certainly God cannot have planned my steps, but it's both and. Remember, Pharaoh in the Bible hardened his heart. The Bible says Pharaoh hardened his own heart, but it also says that God hardened his heart. Well, which one was it? It was both. Both. In Acts 27, Paul says that God told him that nobody on the ship would die. But when the sailors try to get in a lifeboat, Paul says, stay here on the ship or else you're going to die. Well, which one was it? It was both. Not a contradiction, but a paradox. When one theologian was asked how he justifies or reconciles, how he reconciles the idea that God is fully in control, yet we have freedom, he says, I don't have to justify, friends. Our Lutheran theologians would say that we have to allow both to be true, that God is fully in control of everything. Yet somehow in this wonderful paradox, he gives us freedom to choose. So as we're making out our schedules, we certainly have the ability to make out our schedules ourselves, but God is still at the same time fully in control. So that means for us, first of all, that I can what I schedule and what I do matters. What I schedule and what I do matters. If I thought that what I planned and scheduled didn't matter, I would have no incentives for making right choices and use my time for God's glory. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So it means that what I plan and schedule really do matter. But at the same time, B, God is working out all things for my good and his glory. We let them both be true. It's a wonderful and beautiful paradox. God is working out all things for my good and for his glory. Psalm 135, 6, the Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth. Daniel 4, 35, God does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? And the next one I'm going to show you is beautiful. It's from the book of Jeremiah. The children of Israel have been captives in Babylon, and now they're coming out, and they reflect, and they say, the Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. So this God, who is in charge of our schedules, loves us deeply with an unfailing love. So that means... I can rest in his sovereignty. If he was wicked or mean or unknowable, we'd be frightened. But our God loves us with an everlasting love. So as he ordains our steps at the same time that we plan them, I know it's a paradox, we can trust in the sovereignty of God and still have every incentive to live for him. Still have every incentive to take my schedule, my day-to-day, my time, and say, Lord, this is yours. Help me lay out my schedule in a way that honors you. So now here we are. So what does it mean to foolproof our schedule? We'll take a look at the book of Proverbs and other scripture verses to help us foolproof our schedule, to lay out our time in a way that honors God. And first of all, we want to stop here, that we ought to schedule God first. He demands priority over everything, including our time. Matthew 6.33, Laura just read it from up here, a beautiful verse. Many of us are familiar. Seek first First thing, his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. This comes in context. The people were worried about where we're we going to get food and where we're we going to get clothes. And Jesus says, relax, come after me and my father first, make us a priority. And we'll take care of the rest of those details. Seek God first. This might mean the first thing in your day. Psalm 5, 3 in the morning, first thing, Lord you hear my voice in the morning. I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Psalm 90:14 adds to this. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Making God a priority might mean he's the first stop in your day. I've shared with you my morning routine. It's nothing special, but it seems to work. I wake up, the alarm goes off. I use the restroom. I brush my teeth. If I'm lucky, there's a little coffee left over from the day before. I'll heat it up in the microwave. If not, straight to my desk, then just because I want God to be first in my life. Open my Bible, read some scriptures, spend time in prayer. sets the course for my day, that the rest of the time would be his also. But I want him to know that you are first and most important I'm grateful that you brought me through the night, Lord, and today is yours. I want to be in your word. I want to be in prayer, and I want you to know that. Making God first. Meeting with God first in the morning sets your course for the day. Martin Luther wrote a famous morning prayer. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you have it memorized. It's in our Lutheran catechism. You can find it online. It was so important for Martin Luther to start his day with God. He would pray this way. I thank you, my heavenly father, through Jesus Christ, your dear son, So scheduling God first means more than just making him first thing in the morning. It can mean that. It doesn't have to be. Some of you, that's just an impossibility for you. And if it's truly an impossibility, okay. But I would urge those of you who don't do that and can make God the first thing in your day, try it. First thing in the morning. But but it also means that he ought to be God over everything else in your schedule. Now, I know we do things, right? You go to work, you go to school, you do laundry, you do groceries. This past week, we shoveled the driveway at least six times, right? There's other stuff other than quote unquote God stuff. But we let God be the priority in our day when we do those things with him. When we take him along with us, when we honor him in everything that we do, when we live with integrity, In times of sin, we come to him and we we repent and he forgives us. We place others above ourselves. We live godly lives. And that means that God is the God over our entire schedule. Now, there's two places in the New Testament to talk about and give us directives in doing something every day. It's very interesting. I did the word search. The word daily is used a lot in the New Testament. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily, they will go to the pool for healing. But two places were directed to do something daily, and they're very different, and they're very surprising. So I'm urging you, urging myself to schedule, deny myself <laughs> every day. What am I supposed to do? Oh, it looks like I'm supposed to deny myself Well, where does this come from? In Luke 9, 23, Jesus is talking, whoever wants to be one of my disciples or one of my followers must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Isn't that interesting? If you want to be one of my people, here's what I want you to do every day. Take up your cross. That means die to your desires, die to your old self. Deny yourself, same kind of thing, and follow me. Another way to say this is to surrender. I know it sounds weird to literally write the words, deny self on your daily planner. But I guess I am challenging you to do it. Maybe if you do it on your phone, it pops up that way. I still have the old-fashioned weekly paper planner where I write things in. Think about it. Do it this week. Just do it for a bunch of days, every day. It'll pop up. You'll turn the page and go, oh, <laughs> today's not about me. Today's about him and how I might live for him, and how I might bless others. Denying ourselves sounds repressive. Oh, no, I don't get to do any of the stuff I want to do. But for those of us who are Jesus people, we know that we're giving up bondage to sin and destructive desires of the flesh and entering into the true freedom that we have in Christ. This idea of surrender is frightening, I know. A missionary named Lou Nichols describes it this way. He says, what is the difference between commitment and surrender? When you make a commitment... You are still in control, no matter how noble the thing you commit to. You can commit to pray or to study the Bible to give money or to commit to automobile payments or to lose weight. Whatever the man chooses to do, he commits to. But surrender is different. If someone holds a gun to you and asks you to lift your hands in the air as a token of surrender, you don't tell that person that you are committed. You simply surrender and do as you're told. Now, that's a stark illustration, right? Because Jesus doesn't come to us with a gun, yet he still demands surrender. He still demands, I want all of you because if I can't have all of you, I can't have any of you. So we surrender. We don't say, Lord, I'm committed to you. Lord, we say, I'm surrendering to you. You have everything that I am, including my schedule, including my minutes throughout the day. Maybe the idea of scheduling self-denial comes in a form of a prayer. I found this one online. It seems to be very helpful for me. Jesus, you are my only treasure. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will. All I have and call my own. You have given all to me, Lord. I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Daily schedule this idea of denying yourself. The second directive that the New Testament gives to do something every day is very different than the first, but it's right there in Scripture that we ought to schedule the encouragement of others. Maybe you write that in every day. Encourage somebody. Here it says in Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The need for encouragement in our world is overwhelming. As I said, you might literally write in the words, encourage someone today in your planner. Uh, The definition of encourage is important. Um, To call to one side. Oh, I like that one a lot here. Come, just come be by me. Walk with me. I'll walk with you. To help, to console, to strengthen, to put courage into a person, someone who's facing a fearful situation, to inspire, to motivate. Some practical ways that we could do this is to observe and mention to someone their qualities, their punctuality, their diligence, their good attitude, that they're thoughtful, that they're efficient, that they have a good sense of humor. Maybe you, you write a handwritten note. How almost ancient does that idea sound these days in the, in the uh, days of texting and writing emails? A handwritten note of encouragement. Maybe a small gift along with a handwritten note. Maybe you can express appreciation for someone's extra effort. They went above and beyond just a thank you and a word of encouragement. Maybe you can cultivate a positive atmosphere because encouragement is so difficult in a negative atmosphere. Maybe you t- pick up the tab at the restaurant just to encourage somebody. You pay for their meal or you're supportive of someone you know who is really hurting. The Bible says be creative in these areas. Hebrews 10:24. let us think of ways to motivate one another, to encourage them to acts of love and to good works. And back to the book of Proverbs, it reminds us how good encouragement is. Worry weighs a person down, but encouraging, an encouraging word cheers a person up. So we've already kind of touched on this, but I want to expand on it. Our next stop is to make God the God of everything else in your schedule. Make God the God of everything else in your schedule. Um, Really a beautiful Psalm, Psalm 31, and then we find in verses 14 and 15, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. God, my time, the existence I have on earth is is in your hands. My days, my minutes, my hours. It was fun when George went through all those numbers. Isn't that interesting? Each and every one of those are in his hands. Make God the God of everything else in your life. So what's in your schedule? Are there things that are straight out sinful? Yes, of course, eliminate those. Things that require you to move away from those, those need to be marked off for sure. But everything else that is godly or, um, I guess, neutral, right? Uh, stuff that we do, make it God stuff. And one of the ways that helps me think about that is this rough illustration, you know, the list of things that we do, we work and then there's time for leisure and maybe we exercise or take a vacation, do housework, could have filled it up with school and all the other stuff, but let God at the top flow down through those things. See how it's flowing. Let him saturate those things. Let him be a part of those things. And we purposely did it in red. So it would look like blood the blood of Christ flowing through those things, the freedom that we have in Christ throughout our day because of his sacrifice, that he bought us back from death, despair, and darkness, this mess we find ourselves in because we are sinners. And, and, and that we can have our time with him now because of that. The great exchange that took place at the cross, that my wretchedness and my darkness was put on Jesus, and he gave me completely his goodness. And now I am a good person, not because I'm a good person, but because Christ's goodness was put on me. And the psalm writer writes, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me, to look on him and pardon me. So one last parting word in this idea about foolproofing our schedule. Sabbath, could spend a whole sermon, It could spend a whole sermon series on this idea of Sabbath. <sighs> Relax, sit, quiet, eyes closed in his presence, either in active worship or just sitting and being, refreshing, recharging, refocusing. The Bible talks about it. We number it, commandment number three from Exodus 28. Re- remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Not restrictive. Remember, this is not taking away good stuff. This is good for us. Spend time in Sabbath. So much we could say here. Suffice it to say that in Matthew 12, Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. There was a big discussion about what Sabbath is. What are we allowed to do? Are we supposed to just sit? Or can we he said, relax. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Be in me and let me be in you. And there you will find rest. You will find Old Testament Hebrew word, shalom. This peace, this overwhelming peace that is supernatural. It literally means nothing broken, nothing missing. Would you like that in your life? Would you like there to be nothing broken and nothing missing? We find that shalom in the peace that we have when we Sabbath, when we find our time with him and we let him recharge us and refocus us and refresh us. Well, time went fast on the sermon about time. Uh, here we are at some next steps. Um, connect with God by memorizing Proverbs 16, 9. It's a short one. We talked about it right at the beginning. It reads this way in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Remember, we talked about that wonderful paradox. And secondly, for you to to consider, submit your schedule to God and let him be the priority over your time. Maybe it literally means this afternoon, taking your your day planner, if it's a paper one or your phone or your computer, where you, you put the stuff in for the weeks coming up and you say, Lord, I have not been very good at surrendering this to you, that my time, I'm desperate. I need your help. Take it all. Show me how to foolproof my schedule. Let my time be your time. And number three, be aware of your busyness. We're, we've all become so busy, but, but give yourself a break. If you're busy, don't beat yourself up, but find time, find pockets in the, in the day to Sabbath, to be with him, to refocus and refresh, excuse me, and, and to recharge. Let's um spend some time in prayer here. Father in heaven, we admit that the enemy can fill our schedules with things that take us away from you. So forgive us And give us wisdom to foolproof our schedules so that they may reflect your priorities and your will for our lives. We trust you, Lord, with our time. God, we trust you with our time. We pray this in Christ's name and together we all say, Amen.